Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's a double shot from our featured artist today, James Lee Baker. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. tell you just what they're feeling some just let you know some people compel you with eyes so revealing your gaze cannot let go a smile of flirtation that coy invitation you wonder what the night has planned then without asking for number on a napkin is placed in the palm of your hand Slice alive with all the sweet delight of some people. Some people read you like you're a mystery, some like a valentine. Some people meet you at a point in your history With a heart that's right on time Divine influence or coincidence All the stars have aligned right here Now she's closer than the drink on your coaster Address whispered in your ear Welcome to a slice of life With all the sweet delight of some if love's a roll of the dice, maybe chance is underrated. 
So goodbye to the tragic point of view that your world is complicated. Welcome to a slice of life with all the sweet delight of some people. Welcome to a slice of life with all the sweet delight of some people. White 
on the lonely on a west staccato at the place of the Mackenzie fight and that was James Lee Baker from his brand new release and we got James Lee Baker on the line right now hey James how you doing I'm doing pretty well now, this is your first time on our show, and we always like to give our fans an opportunity to get to know you, get to know who you are as an artist and, of course, as a person. And the best way to do that is by your journey. Um, so give us the story of James Lee Baker. Yeah, so I uh, was born and raised in Texas, um, in the Texas Panhandle, to a musical family. My father was a drummer throughout high school and uh, played in rock bands uh, for several years, especially when I was young. Um, and my mother played guitar, um, and my grandparents um, my, were, were musical as well on my father's side. So music was, uh, I mean, you know, something that I got from my family. And and when I was a young boy, uh, in the summer times, I would go to uh, to like music camp. Um, and started singing in choir in middle school and high school, and um, eventually, you know, doing vocal competitions. And then, when I went into college, I uh, became a vocal performance major for a few years. So, my upbringing was centered around music. Early on, I started playing guitar when I was fifteen or sixteen and doing open mics. Um, but I was raised in a blue-collar family. Uh, my father works as a CNC machinist during the week and on the weekends pastors a church um, and so there's this blend in my life of music and being from the south and um, spirituality and family and, and then that's really kind of my fingerprint especially as an artist okay well let's talk a little bit about this current release um what was your inspiration for this one? Well, I originally started out with the prior album that I had recorded. Um, there were uh, two songs that a friend of mine um, had written and hadn't recorded in a formal setting. And I, I just really loved them and cherished them. And so while we are at the studio, we had a little bit of time left over since we booked the sessions by day. And so we decided to go ahead and record these two songs, and they turned out really well. And I kept them a bit on the back burner. Um, but as I returned for subsequent sessions, it was kind of a theme where I would I would meet a friend or someone that I would, I would listen to their music at a songwriting retreat or something like that and fall in love with a specific song that they had written but either hadn't recorded or it's been a long time since people had heard it and so I ultimately ended up recording four songs from friends of mine uh, and songs that most folks hadn't, haven't heard and um, I just kind of held on to them uh, so after we got done recording the LP um, this prior LP that I released in 2020 called 100 Summers it was kind of clear that I wanted to make a statement with this with this album in terms of just you know, the quality of the experience, the audio, the engineering. And so the songs needed to be more just originals. Um, that project went really well. 
uh, we we topped the we are in the top ten on the folk charts, number one single in 2020 in September, and it, and it did really well. But I had these songs left over, and I wanted to really not only just release them, but also give the friends of mine an opportunity to have a moment on the radio or in the spotlight. And so, um, you know, I wasn't really sure what to do with with four songs because you. Apart from maybe releasing an EP, you can't do a whole lot. So after some, some thought, I realized, why don't I take the songs from my my, uh, my childhood, my adulthood, songs that defined me as a folk artist, songs that I looked up to, that really just had a positive experience on myself. And some of those songs are songs that I would, wouldn't normally like pick, like songs that have require a little bit of courage, like Young Man in America from Anais Mitchell. Um, and I went to the studio and we tracked all of these songs um, and they turned out really well and and I ultimately ended up having enough to put together this uh, this, uh, this album called Impressions. And, and so I've since, uh, like, like in customary fashion that I've done in the past with the prior release, um, I worked with an illustrator that I've worked with for, for several years to to create these really excellent uh, hand-drawn illustrations for each of these songs. And so what people get today is, you know, a CD or a vinyl that has a really detailed 24-page booklet that, like, shows artwork and brief stories and about these songs. So so it's a bit about the project and what we are releasing. Okay. Now... When you were putting this together, what was kind of your criteria for the songs? Well, especially with the songs that are more uh, are more well known, um, they varied. Uh, one, I wanted diversity. Um, I didn't want it to just be an album full of dudes. <laughs> that was one. So I, I wanted to lead with a song that. Um, that was written by a female songwriter that I looked up to. And some artists, like, you know, I thought of were like Patty Griffin um, or Joni Mitchell. But there was just something about the song that she, that Nanias Mitchell wrote, Young Man in America, that really impacted me. And I think that that was the central theme that kind of emerged, was like, what are songs that I've had personal experiences with? Whether it be pulling over the side of the road and crying, or uh, having that song play at a very important or poignant time in my life where I was going through some sort of change or difficulty. In the case of Living Room by David Gray, David Gray was one of the first folk artists that I got turned on to when I was in high school. And I learned his music and played it at open mics. And, and Living Room was one of those songs that it sort of emerged as like a regular favorite, something that I would play at shows all of the time. And that, that, that can be said about Just Like a Woman by Bob Dylan. Um, same thing with Morningside by John Gorka. Morningside is one of my favorite songs on my favorite album of his, uh, The Company You Keep. And so I think that these songs are just songs that I've had these personal moments with that I wanted to try and make my own a little bit and, and put them out into a project that had a consistent fingerprint. Okay. Now, let's talk about going into the studio. You know, every artist has their process when they get in that environment that allows them to capture their sound. What do you like to do when you get into the studio that allows you to get the sound you're looking for? 
Yeah, so I've, this has been an experimentation process, but it's one that I've, I'm really proud of, um, especially in the last few years, because I've had the opportunity to work with uh, really a few really talented people in the industry. Um, Roscoe Beck and Chris Bell. And Chris Bell was introduced to me through Billy Crockett, who owns Blue Rock Studios in Wimberley, Texas. Billy Crockett was introduced to me through Daryl Purpose, who is a folk singer. Um, and uh, meeting Chris Bell is really great. Chris has worked with all sorts of artists from, you know, the Eagles to U2 to um, Jacob Dylan and many more. And he's a Grammy-nominated engineer. And so, you know, the first, the first time that we met and we recorded together was really just an opportunity to see how the process went. And it was pretty eye-opening because Chris's main focus is really getting all of the pre-processing and processing out of the way by focusing on the experience, the, the signal up front. So he he invests his time and money into understanding and mastering equipment at the at the like the preamp level, at the microphone level, at getting and capturing the sound in the purest and rawest form that he that he can. And he's worked closely with Neve. To, to sort of find the right equipment to lower the noise floor and to create an atmospheric and expansive sound. So Blue Rock was a perfect place to discover this because they used Neve equipment and Neve boards. And um, so working with Chris in that process was really great because he didn't want to put a lot of um, effort into punching and retracking and overdubbing. He wanted to come in and capture the sound as as it happened naturally so so our sessions usually consisted of like picking the right session players based on projects they worked on in the past and then coming into the studio um and and having charts for everyone and then just pressing record and just just seeing what happens and recording the song you know, uh, a, a half a dozen to a dozen times and talking through it each time and feeling it out and exploring the instrumentation. And so so we captured that one take where everything seemed to like really fit and we clicked. And then, then we kind of go back in and massage it a little bit as, as needed. Um, and Roscoe Beck was really instrumental from the production side of things because while Chris was focusing on, on the equipment, and focusing on and capturing things as 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 best as we could, uh, Roscoe was really good at like making sure we had the right tempo, and you know making sure that the charts were on point and that the dynamics worked and that we could hear each other and if we needed a click or not or you know and so the the, the synergy between us three um, really. It was it was a really magical experience, especially the second time we did it and the third time we did it, because we kind of knew what we were getting into and what we needed to be prepared for. And so we, once we had that stuff out of the way, there was a lot more exploration that took place. But what was birthed from that were these songs that I honestly didn't know what they were going to sound like until I took my headphones off, got up from the bin, you know, from the the seat or chair and went into the mixing room to listen to it after it had been recorded. It was pretty, pretty magical. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, let's um, let's talk a little bit about getting it out there. Once you get this recorded, of course, you got to create your team, and you got to you know get it to press. You got to get it to radio, um, and you're working with Adam Dawson from Broken Jukebox Media. Tell me a little bit about um, how that relationship began. Well, I first met Adam at the Southwest Regional Folk Alliance in Austin, Texas. Uh, he and I were introduced by uh, a mutual acquaintance, uh, and we just hit it off in the sense that he's he's very laid back. You know, he he's very down to earth and fun, fun to talk to. Um, and he has a good vision for what he's trying to achieve as a PR artist or as a PR agent. You know, he wants to work with um, sort of creating synergy between um, small and effective, small and medium effective, like promoters and and, uh, and, and media and, and, and so forth. And so um, it's been great to work with him so far just because of how organic the relationship feels. It feels it doesn't really feel much like a business. You know, I, I pick up the phone and call him and and we can just shoot the breeze. And and at the same time he knows where the music needs to go. Uh, especially in this community. Um, so just leaning on him and his entrusting him in his process. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about the business. Um I mean, let's face it, the elephant in the room here is that the consumer has really embraced streaming as the way to consume music. The problem with that is is that because of the nature of streaming, recorded music has lost its ability to be a product. Uh, In the consumer's eye, it's not something to buy anymore. It's something they expect to be on their phone 24-7. If they hear about an artist, they can look them up, listen to everything they've done, and it doesn't cost them an extra dime, you know. And for the consumer, this is a great deal. You know, for 10, 15 bucks a month, they pretty much have access to anything that's been recorded in the last 100 years. Unfortunately, that's really affected uh, the independent artist. How has that shift in perception affected you as an artist? Well, like most uh, creators, um, I'm left in a situation where I have to rethink my business model. I also have to think about where my my income comes from. And it it makes it challenging uh, because... You know, I've noticed that there's every, every every musician, every performer has a different makeup. They have different characteristics, right? We're not all the same. Some of us love the studio, and we love the writing process, but we don't we don't like all the rigmarole that comes with being a, a full time performer. Whereas other people are really great at performing, they're really great at creating connections, and they're really natural at the social aspects. But they're they never they take some three years to release the album they recorded two years ago, um, and so we we all have our own sort of approach and idiosyncrasies. And I think um, that while there's some common some common ground, I think the difference is that you know um, the friends of mine that are out there making a living doing this full time are relentless in that they're always on the road or they're always traveling or they're always trying to find side opportunities to 
to teach, you know, guitar lessons or to help people with their graphics design or whatever else they need to do to keep the performance side of things afloat. Otherwise, many of us have day jobs. And so it's difficult. Um, and for me, I've personally found that I'm not, you know, uh, I, I once wrote a poem that said, I'd rather be barefoot in my own backyard wishing upon a shooting star than staring up at a popcorn ceilings searching for constellations in motel rooms I'll never sleep in again. And I think that that's me. Is is I, I, I recognize that in order to be true to myself as an artist, in order to create healthy art that doesn't lead to mental illness, um, I have to I have to embrace my strengths and and and, and slowly nurture my weaknesses or, or areas of improvement. So I'm not out there playing as much as say other artists do. I have I have a family and I have kids and uh, and a community around me, and so it's more t challenging for me to just to be on the road all the time to try and compensate for this. Whereas 30, 40 years ago, I'm, I'm sure it would have been much easier for me to to not worry about having to play shows all the time because I had money coming in from merchandise and music sales and things like that. So I'm trying to avoid cynicism, but it's difficult because I'm not making money. I'm making taking a loss every year on the product that I'm building. So nonetheless, my focus is still on creating as high of a quality product as I can. From the studio to the graphics design to the mastering to the PR agent, the pipeline of getting the product out, I think for me is is still very important and the quality of the craftsmanship is still something I value. Whether I get shows out of that, you know, it's is less important to me. But I, I commend all of my peers who are going out every day and busting hard and sleeping in their vans and things like that so that they can get a show because they're just not making money on music sales anymore, you know? Yeah. Well, believe me, I know. Unfortunately, you know, this whole um, problem of, you know, the fact that streaming, number one, doesn't compensate the content creators fairly uh, and doesn't bring up the to the level of what we used to get when we were selling, you know, CDs at the merch table on tour. Uh, has really gone to really diminish the music industry's middle class. And it's not just the touring artist that, that is in this class. It's, you know, it's the studio owners and the engineers and the studio musicians and all those people who are invested in created, creating uh, recorded music. And we need to rebuild that. We need to have some sort of way to compensate creators for you know the fact that they're creating this recorded these recorded projects because this is the wellspring where new work new music comes from so what do you think should happen to kind of rebuild that middle class in the music industry that's a great question um i i've thought a lot about this from a business perspective because you know, I spent. I did spend the. You know, go through the phase of 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 angst and saying, you know, this is a bummer, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I won't do it anymore, etc. But at a certain point, I realized that, like, like any industry, it just things change. And so, looking at the business from a different perspective is, um, 
is a matter really is, is a matter of thinking outside of the box and economics. While I don't think I have the solution, I think it's it one is resetting my expectations. I'm not going to make money on this stuff unless I alter my artwork to be receptive to the people that are streaming high quality, high quantities of it. Right. So, does that mean that I experiment with other genres? Does that mean that I work with publishing companies and and get on you know some of these efforts to to get my music into YouTube ads and other things like that? You know, there's a lot of legwork that can be done in that regard uh, to try and boost you know passive income through through that stuff. But ultimately, you know, it, following the money in the music industry uh, is a difficult thing for us to do as independent artists. So uh, I'm not sure. I know. There's a lot of things on the rise, as you'd mentioned earlier, about NFTs and um, the digital space for 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 artists. But I think that ultimately we have to stop looking at our music as a product and start looking at it as as a, as a service, as you've mentioned. Um, the real thing I've seen a lot of success with, that and it does take work and it does take dedication, is these online sort of like exclusive communities, um, like. These sort of, you know, private fan bases um, where you can subscribe to a monthly membership and be, you know, be access have access to to, to exclusive content and, and, and things like that. Um, I know artists that are making. I know I know one artist that started from the ground up and over the course of only the last year and a half has managed to make about eighteen hundred dollars a month on their Patreon. Um, just playing cover tunes and playing songs that they wrote and writing out their lyrics and shipping it to people and, and they don't even have a CD out yet. So so I do think that there's there there, there could be something there, um, especially even artists, larger artists like Ellis Paul, have sort of gone away from social media almost entirely and have just relied solely on Patreon for like half of their income stream. So I think there's something there. It just requires a lot of time and, and consistency uh, to make it happen. Right, right. Well, you know, you had mentioned the, you know, the technology, NFTs and, and blockchain. And there are streaming services that have been created now that they're claiming will will uh, pay the, the content creators, the artists themselves, up to 90% of the generated income. Uh, which is really good, considering that, you know, the last article I read in Billboard is that, for the most part, um, musicians are only getting 12% of all the income being generated through the music industry, and I'm sure the independent artist is a lot less than that, um, because the record companies and all the middlemen in this industry really kind of suck it up, uh, and... The one thing about these decentralized uh, streaming platforms is that no corporation owns them. You can't negotiate better deals because they're decentralized. Um, What do you think of that as being maybe a a way to kind of even that playing field? Well, I think um, one of the downsides of this is that it's just going to take time there's a lot of people that don't understand these concepts very well and they're not yet palatable to the average and like under uh, undereducated consumer with respect to technology 
right? Um, you know, you go out on the street and you ask people what NFTs are, most of them are not going to be able to tell you what they are. So, you know, this is something that I think will just take a little bit of time as we build out this sort of digital multiverse space and people become more accustomed to utilizing hard currency and converting it into digital currency to purchase invest into things that don't physically exist. I think that's uh, that's a barrier that many people are going to have to get through, particularly with, it's not so much a concern for kids, you know, young kids, teenagers, young adults who are listening to more popular genres um, that are more, more likely to go viral. The concern is that we've got a lot of troubadours out there, a ton of people who are traveling the roads by themselves or with their partners or small groups that are trying to play in intimate listening rooms and house concert venues, coffee shops and places like this, who are going to be trying to sell NFTs to people who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s who are not going to have a clue what's going on. And those are the people that I think I'm immediately concerned with is people who are going to go and do a show and on a good good night make $500, but they're going to be competing with, with everybody who can pick up an acoustic guitar and spend money on a used Sprinter van. So um, it, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting concept. I think it's just going to take time to pan out. Okay. Well, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking with us. And uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You may just want to turn it up loud. Screw the neighbors. We're going to have some fun. Amphetamine and her pearls. She 
just like a woman Yes, she does and she makes love like a woman Yes, she does and she aches just like a woman But she breaks just like a little And I was dying there of thirst So I came in here And your long time cursed But what's worse Is this pain in here Well I can't stay in here Ain't it clear that I just can't fit Yes, I believe it's time for us to quit When we meet again Introduced as friends Please don't let on that you knew me when I was hungry
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate 
the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna make. 